Well, as we continue on with the uh, Heart Talk series, uh, this is part nine, and I just want to uh, start with sharing a scripture in Hebrew in the 13th chapter, right around the 15th verse. And the title tonight would be A Fixed Heart Living a Lifestyle of Worship. Hebrews 13, 15 states that, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks until his name. That's the King James Version. Amplified says, through him, therefore, let us at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. I'm going to do a quick little recap uh, of the last few weeks. Pastor was focusing on Colossians 4, 2, and 6, the importance of speaking life, while he was driving home the point that we should always temper our speech with grace and season with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And then last week, Pastor Tim taught on James 3, 1 through 12 and 17, the fiercest battle, focusing on to tame the tongue, but accountability while remembering the tongue's potential for good or for evil. So for me, I think what hit me and stuck out about that sermon last week was the scripture in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of their heart, the mouth speaks. So as we move forward this evening to the message this weekend, I think it's safe to conclude that in this Heart Talk series, as we stated last week in James 3.8, but the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly evil and full of deadly poison. But God... But God, not man, but God. But God can change that, amen? Not man, but in God, it can change. Psalms 141.3, the scriptures tell us, God Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. This is David saying to God, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I was reminded this week as I was praying about a time in my life when I first got a personal revelation of the power of the tongue. It was about, I think right after I got out of Bible college and I was in Minneapolis and had planted my first church. And as I was learning this urban community, it was really tough. At that time in Minnesota, they were calling that city Murderapolis because at that time there was the most homicides in Minneapolis in that year. And as I would go around the urban areas and go inside the little corner grocery stores, I noticed there was a young single mother. She had her child with her. 
And as he was walking around and doing things and just kind of being what a child would be and just grabbing candy and doing other things and just picking stuff up and sitting down, she reached around and she took her hand and she slapped his little ashy legs and she says, you little S.O., you're going to end up to be just like your daddy in prison. And years later, years later, as I grew in that community and as the church grew and as I got to know more people and even saw that family later on, I noticed that that kid ended up in jail. As she was speaking and continued to say constantly in that young child's life, speaking cursings instead of blessings. And it's interesting because we think, well, she's not regenerated, she's not redeemed. But remember that all people are made in the image and likeness of God. And we have power in our tongue. I think back in the early church, being in a urban church where it was predominantly Hispanic or, or black. And back then, we're talking 30, 40 years ago, even longer. I'm kind of older than dirt, but that's all right. <laughs> so a little bit longer than that, the church was going through a phase with Striper and different rock groups and Christian rock was becoming a thing. And I remember that a lot of people in the church would say, whoa, that rock and roll is a horrible thing. How could people be deceived and be of the world and let that into the church? And those who were in the world were constantly walking around singing songs by ACDC. Back in Black, Highway to Hell, songs like that. And they were constantly singing this stuff. And it was interesting that the urban community was like, what is with that? And we know in that era that that led to drug sex and rock and roll and the drug culture and all kinds of different drugs and psychedelic drugs and acid and all that stuff. And that was based out of the confession of people's mouth during the songs of rock and roll and all the things that were said. But during that time, I noticed something in the urban community that, that while they were complaining and watching that, they would be... They would be in trouble very soon as they were slipped a Mickey, so to speak, through their own music that they adopted called rap. And rap became so popular and it began to come into the church and it became to be a flagship in urban communities. And through that music, which people of color were going, well, that's, that's our music. We own it. And the church was even involved. But through that culture and through that music, we saw what it did to that community through the words of the music to where every woman is a bee and every man wants a baby's mama with the baby's mama drama. And we see with that culture what is happening in our urban communities all because of the confession of what's being said during the power of rap music. It's ruined the black female. It's ruined that culture, and so many things take place. Set a guard 
oh God, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Hebrew 13, 5 again, by him, meaning Jesus, the perfect sacrifice without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. The Amplified says, through him, therefore, let us at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. Through him, Jesus is alive, the Lamb of God, the only efficient and sufficient one. Through him, by him, our thanksgiving is only accepted to God on Jesus' account. So it's only right to offer our praise up to him. That's Jesus. We must continually praise God at all times through affliction, through temptations, adversity, and times of reproach, and times of persecution. Now, in the book of Hebrews, it's about Jesus and how he guaranteed a new and a better covenant. The key word in the book of Hebrews, even though we have debate on who penned that, the key word is better. You theologians in here, you know that they always refer to the book of Hebrews as better. Now, this term, the fruit of our lips, is interpreted by some in reference to Hosea 14.2. That reads, take with you words and turn to the Lord and say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously so that we will render the calves of our lips. Now, but the writer in Hebrews, which is this book of better, writes that the sacrifice would be the fruit of our lips versus the calves of our lips. See, this saying, the calves of our lips, was that we would offer the calves or the bulls or an animal as a sacrifice. But in the New Testament, it's the fruit of our lips, not the calves of our lips. Therefore, bringing a, con a conjunction of the heart and the tongue together and praise along with a social giving thanks to God by the saints as the body of Christ together. So what we need today, what we have to have, if we're going to have a tame tongue, if we're going to speak blessings and not curses, we need to have a fixed heart. A fixed heart living a lifestyle of worship. It's been stated thoroughly over and over again in this heart series talk that the condition of our hearts is the key to what we say. And let me add, maybe by even what we sing, and it sets the course of our lives. But again, no man can tame it. Somebody say Amen. No man can tame it, but God can. God can. But we play a part in this. We need a fixed heart, united in one great affection, a lifestyle of worship, a tongue that speaks of God's righteousness and his praise all the day long. A fixed heart. Psalms 108.1, oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise even with my glory.
a fixed heart. Praying and asking God for a fixed heart. Again, I remind you in James 3.8, but the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. And Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of their heart, the mouth speaks. So the key, once again, is our hearts. Side note is, we must also realize that at times, we can find ourselves offering honor to God with our lips, but not in our hearts. Matthew 15, 8, 9, in vain they do worship me. I was reminded Last week, I had a conversation with Pastor Tim. Some of you may uh, say, well, you know, I call him Tim, or when I first started coming here, I was Pastor Matt, Pastor Tim, Pastor Tim, and sometimes people in my family here would, oh, that's Tim, or that's Matt. And I get that. I, I just really think that at times in today's societies, we don't really reverence the men of God. Pastor Matt is my pastor. He's Pastor Matt. I call him what he is with the fruit of my lips. I call Pastor Tim, Pastor Tim. That's just me. And I'm reminded when I was thinking about that today of Hebrews 13, 7. Obey them. Oh, wait, wait. Oops, bad words. Obey them. Obey them that have rule over you. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as to give account that they may do it with joy and not grief, for that is unprofitable to us. Wow. This is the last time we heard that scripture already. Isn't that crazy? We don't think about that. Or 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Double honor? Double honor? So that means uh, our elders, our pastors who rule well, that they should receive double honor? What the heck does that mean? To me, it means that I call him pastor. That's just one of the things. But that double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, wow. What would that look like if we were to give double honor to pastor? Well, we better leave that alone. We better get back to what we're talking about, right? Anyways, I had a conversation with pastor, and we were talking about... Um, uh, I, I guess it was uh, 2 Chronicles 20, 21st verse through 23. It's a story about Jehoshaphat, one of my favorite names, Jehoshaphat. You, you, got, you got me, Chloe, right? Jehoshaphat. So um, Jehoshaphat had walked out. I'm going to paraphrase a bit, okay? He walked out, and he saw the enemy coming, approaching. And there were so many people that it looked like ants on a hill. It just so many were coming after him. And Jehoshaphat didn't know what to do. So as he gathered the people, he said, Oh, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. So after some time of fasting, someone began to prophesy. And then the next morning, Jehoshaphat did something very interesting. He sent out the praisers. Now, what kind of sense does that make? He sent out the praisers to go to battle. And as they began to praise and dance, 
and just begin to do their thing and just, we shall enter his gates with thanksgiving in our heart. We shall, and I don't know what they sang, but they begin to praise God. And when they begin to praise God, something happened. All of those people out there began to fight against one another. And the praises are just praising God. And Jehoshaphat and the people of God just sat back and just went, whoa, whoa, look at him cut him. Oh, look at him stab him. Oh, look at him shoot. Well, they didn't have guns, but oh, look at that, look at that. And they began to kill each other. Interesting that when they were done, it took God's people three days to gather all of the spoils of the enemy. Hmm. Well, something can happen when you praise God. This ain't no prosperity message. I'm just saying, okay? But there's power. There's power. There's so much power in praise and worship. The fruit of our lips with a fixed heart living a lifestyle of worship. Now, Psalms 8611, David says, Unite my heart. This is heart talk series, right? David says, unite my heart, meaning give me one great love. Give me one great affection. Unite my heart. Let me not be divided. Let me not be distracted. So the question is, what would this great love, what would it be? What would be this great love? Matthew 22, 37, Mark 12, 30, Luke 10, 27, Deuteronomy 13, 3, 6, 5, 11, 13, to love the Lord your God. Woo! To love the Lord your God. To love the Lord your God with all your heart. Oh, praise the Lord. With all your soul, with all your might, and with all of your strength. Oh, man. Whoa, that's, that's, that's a tough one there. That we're to love the Lord God with what? With what? With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Wow, that's a tall order, but that's something we must do if we're going to tame the tongue. That's something that we must do if we're going to have a fixed heart. That's something that we must do if we're to live a lifestyle of worship. Psalms 33, 34, 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. How many in here know today that you have to have a fixed heart to walk in that scripture? I will bless the Lord at all times. I just love this scripture. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. How does this happen? Because we stated earlier in James 3, 8, no man, no man, no man can tame the tongue. But something happens when we ask for a fixed heart. Something happens when we live a lifestyle of worship. Something happens when we begin to worship. Something happens when the word of God is taught and we receive it. There's a heart change. There's a language change. There's an attitude change. When we say like David in Psalms 5.1, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me 
a clean heart, O oh God, and renewing me a right spirit within me. Psalms 57, 7, my heart is fixed, O oh God, I will sing and give praise. Isn't it interesting that David was a man after God's own heart? He was known mainly for two things, war and worship. Wow. You know, I often wonder, I'm going to get off track for a minute, I often wonder when Saul's son said to him, because he was having problems as he was uh, being attacked by spirits, and he said, Saul's like, man, I, I need somebody. I need, I need some help here, man. These, these demons are wearing me out. And Jonathan says, oh, I know a man. Oh, I know. And he's a mighty warrior. Wait a minute. He was, he was just a kid then. But he said he's a mighty warrior. And he plays instruments, and when he plays, demons flee. You just think about it. You go, well, if David was a kid then, and Jonathan said he was a mighty man, and he, was, he was a mighty warrior, and knew that he played. Now, how did Jonathan, the Bible says, now how did Jonathan find out about David and find out that Davis, David had all this going on and that he could fight and that he could play and the anointing of God was on his life? I mean, how does that happen? Well, don't tell nobody, but I'm going to submit to you my own theory, okay? This is just my own theory, okay? You can shoot it down. You can call passing. I don't know what he's talking. This is just what I believe, okay? Is that all right? Can I, can I share it? I believe that as David was out there with the sheep, ah, uh, yeah. And when he was out there, you know, at night and it was dark and he get cold sometimes, I believe that there wasn't no basketball court. So I believe that David would take that sling and get the rocks, and I believe he'd practice. He'd just practice, you know, and he'd knock over beer cans. I don't know if they had beer. I'd say he'd knock over cans, and he would do all these things, and he'd practice. And I think that he'd be there, and he'd be, like, dancing and leaping and doing strange things. And I believe Jonathan was like, <laughs> look, look at David. <laughs> What's he doing? What's he Because he's doing music and doing all these things. <laughs> look at David. Look at David. And I think David got worried. He said, what'd you say, man? And I believe, I believe that David commenced maybe a whooping on them boys a little bit and kind of, kind of maybe, you know, beat them up a little bit. And they said, we don't want to mess with that guy. He plays all these weird instruments. He'd take maybe a weeping willow tree and bend it over and tighten it and then pluck it, you know, because he invented all these instruments. Maybe he'd take a stick and hollow it out and make a horn. But, but all these things took place. But somehow Jonathan knew that David was a fighter and a worshiper. Hmm. Makes you think. A fixed heart. Something happens when we participate in true worship. When my heart is united with one great affection, one great love, which is to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Please direct your attention to a video for a quick second. Need, need, need music, volume. Your holy word. 
could someone that age, how could they be singing of the How could he have a fixed heart? That's amazing to see someone that age singing of the goodness of God, singing, I still believe, I believe. To have a fixed heart, to speak the word of God at such an age, can we sit here as adults and say that that's us? Do we spend our time at that age writing love songs unto the Lord, worshiping, going, I just want to glorify your name in song. I want to have a fixed heart. I want to live a lifestyle of worship and barely 17 years old. Oh, my God. When I saw that on Instagram, I just began to weep. The word of God that goes forth here. I'm going to tell you all something. I've been a lot of places. And most of us walk around here so spiritually obese because we got some good food here. And we just eat and eat and eat that word. But when I see somebody like Matt singing like that, I see the word begin to manifest, and that's powerful. True worship, teaching the word of God, the word of God in song, the word of God in our mouths. So I'm going to give you a couple of definitions of true worship. Now, true worship begins with the acknowledgement of the source. The acknowledgement of the source. True worship is any and every expression of obedience, praise, honor, adoration, and gratitude offered to the true guy, God by a regenerated soul, soul who knows the truth about God and loves him. I must note, though, for a second that there is a difference between praise and worship, even though praise is included in worship. But maybe some other time I get a chance to really teach on praise and worship. True worship. Colossians 3, 16, let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. I look at this young man, Matt, Somehow, God got a hold of him and began to fix his heart. As I look at our children, many here are parents. My six kids, and I was a single father for years with teenage girls. But the thing that I did is worship was a very important part of our lives because they could get the word. And when I first started my first church, I couldn't preach very well. 
Matter of fact, my kids joined a different youth group <laughs> and would go to a different church during the week because they said, like, Dad, you're cool and all that, but you don't feed us. And I was fine with that. But what we did was to make sure that their hearts were fixed, to make sure that when they grow, that they would never depart. We would worship at home. We would worship at home. So all the songs we sang at church, we would always on the way home and on the way there sing the songs of Zion. And when any good Christian album or music came, we always bought them what was current so it, it continued on so they wouldn't have to battle with the world. And when we came to church, we did something different. We didn't let them run around. We did, but not during worship. When it was time to praise the Lord, they stood beside us, and we lifted hands, and we worshiped. And how you know that when you do it, the kids will do what you do. And when they saw Daddy opening his mouth, and when they saw Daddy lifting his hands, when they saw me weeping, when they saw me bowing, they would do the same thing. And we had a time to where, in the beginning, where the kids would come up and they would dance, and we'd always try to make the first couple of songs kid-friendly, so to speak. We wouldn't go so deep in the beginning. So the kids looked forward in anticipation to praise and worship. So all the kids would be dancing and standing and lifting their hands and singing to the glory of God because we made it something that the adults did. We didn't just, you know, we just didn't sit there and just, or stand there. We participated. And then on the way home, our kids would sing. Hey, you remember the song they sang again? Hey, let's all sing it right now. We'd sing in the car. And we went on vacation. We would sing the songs of Zion. And we just continued on. We continued on that their hearts would be fixed so that they knew there was something. And then the presence of God would begin to flow into our car, into our house. And they would say, Daddy, why are you crying? What's going on? And as the Spirit of God would enter our home or enter our house or enter our car, They would be curious, and they would want that. I encourage you today to grab your child by the hand during worship and stand them right beside you and lift your hands and sing with all your soul, all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And grab your child's hand and lift their hand up too and just begin to worship. To worship, teaching the word of God is the most important part of public worship. What? What? Wait, 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 what, what? True worship, teaching of the word of God is the most important part of public worship. No, wait, no, the worship team is. True worship, the most important part is the teaching of the Word of God. The Reformers, these theologians, they, they uh, had an order in worship that they would call the regulative principle. And it's usually widely today, and it's worshiped by divine revelation of the Holy Scriptures. And it goes with reading and teaching the Word, Psalms, hymns, singing, I added the dancing. <laughs> Prayer and communion. 
Wow. Worship is a vital part of our lives. I'm going to make a few statements as I begin to close that I strongly believe are very true. People who do music aren't the worship leaders. The worship leader is the person who teaches the scriptures. Because that's where worship is born. Worship should be birthed by understanding and reading and teaching and preaching of the scriptures. So if this is true, I submit to you that in true worship, the worship leader is ultimately the lead pastor. Wow, that's interesting, huh? And if this is true, if this is true, then we have one of the best worship leaders in this part of the country. Oh, I, I, can I get an amen with that one? Can I get, I, that's all right? You agree with that? Because the teaching and the preaching of the scriptures here at Cornerstone is done with excellence. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need a music director. <laughs> that don't mean that we don't need a worship pastor. But I'm just saying that our worship is excellent and second to none. These are the areas that we have to be careful if we purpose to have a fixed heart. See, in living a lifestyle of worship, speaking blessings and not cursings, walking in accountability with our words, knowing that on the day of judgment, we will have to give an account for every careless word we speak. For by our words, we will be justified, and by our words, we will be condemned. True worship, the word of God in song. It's very important that we walk in these principles and exercise our spiritual disciplines in worship. That's one of the main things that we can do that will tame the tongue. If we're praising all the day long, if we're continually to give thanks unto God, then we don't have much time for garbage and, and gossip and tearing each other down and hurting the ones we love with our words. It's important to not get so preoccupied, though, with worship instead of what it's for. And this is some very important statements that we cannot become expert at the means, but most often not getting to the end. You know the old phrase, end must justify the means. A phrase that started in the uh, 1500s. 
We must constantly watch for the attraction of the means. There's nothing more tragic in abusing of time and energy and resource than to make the means the end. The process of worship should take us to its purpose, but the process should never become the purpose. One of the greatest challenges of humanity is the preoccupation with the means over the end. Great music, great sound, great seats, great lighting. But did God show up? Great songs, great singers, great musicians. But did God show up? It's kind of like sometimes we get into the habit of worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Wow. A fixed heart, a united heart with one great love. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. Living a lifestyle of worship, a tongue that speaks of God's righteousness and his praises all the day long. Through him, therefore, let us at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. Worship has been very important to me. When I first got saved and didn't understand the word, I could relate through music. And it really helped me to renew my mind in the things of God. We're trying to play a song right now. You got it coming through? We'll try it one more time.
just gone through the motions I'm sorry when I just sang another song take me back to where we started I opened up my heart to you thank you Jesus and I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough take me back to where I started I open up my heart to you come on lift your hands with me
He's a good God. He saved each and every one of us. I love him so much. He saved a wretch like me. I don't even know what a wretch is, but he saved me. I love him. He's awesome in this place. for blessings. 